Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Okay, Ward. Joshua, how are you, sir? Josh? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, and then, as pleasured as always, couldn't be happier, we're joined by the editor-in-chief, Supreme Overlord, Max Reaper, uh, one of our favorite, basically our other, other co-hosts. There's four co-hosts on the show, Max, you're kind of one. That's all right. Oh, wow. I didn't know I was getting a promotion tonight. Yeah, you're good. So, we've got a nice uh, trio tonight. Um, we're going to discuss the rules, particularly the not so good rules. off the bat start at 7.16 and recording this on uh, Tuesday night. And they are down 6 nothing to the White Sox on their way to probably... Uh, this has got to stop! Wait, what did I say? Did I say 8-16 and 16 or 8-17 or and 17 now? You said 7-16. and 16. Okay, so they will this end up being 7... Or, excuse me, 8-17? and 17? Wait. Yeah. Okay. Eight and seventeen. If they lose tonight, so not good either way. It doesn't matter. Uh, either any of those records are bad. Um, so what do we think? This can't be the true talent level of the team, right? This is just like a really, really bad, bad streak. I mean, we know we all thought that they weren't going to be very good, but we didn't quite think they were going to be this bad, right? Anybody? But you can't make me. Go ahead, Max. Well, yeah, I, I didn't. Uh, I don't think they'll be this bad all year. I mean, look, their their April was historically bad, you know, offensively, pretty much. Uh, you know, I don't expect Eric Hosmer to hit like two hundred all year. Or Alex Gordon hit under two hundred, or Brad Brandon Moss hit under one hundred all year. So, you know, there'll be some aggression to the mean on the offense. Problem is, of course, the starting pitching has been fantastic in April, and they haven't been able to take advantage of that, and that will also regress back to the mean at least a little bit so yeah i mean teams that get off to that kind of start they don't they they don't usually make the playoffs i mean i had an article earlier this week where like i looked at all the teams that had april's about that bad where they lost 15 games or more and had a winning percentage below 350 and of the 55 teams since the strike that did that only four even had a winning record so you know not only are the royals going to be not make the playoffs they're probably gonna be pretty bad like in the low 70s, if not worse, as far as win totals. And, um, you know, some of the projection systems predicted that. So yeah. uh, maybe we need Pakoda an apology if that you know that ends up happening. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is a team that I thought at the beginning of the year 
could be good if like every single thing went right for them. And you know, I wouldn't say that everything has gone wrong for them because like they've been pretty healthy except for Jorge Soler. They've gotten pretty good starting pitching, um, but and they've just been terrible. So um, this may be just what they are. You know, the offense will get a little bit better, but probably not a lot better. It's probably still going to be one of the worst offenses in the league. So yeah, it's not looking like a championship season in Kansas City. Uh, Josh, are you? I, I'm imagining you're, not, you're probably not much more optimistic than I am. No, I mean I'm I'm, I'm not. I mean I wasn't. I wasn't particularly optimistic even before the season started. I thought that I did, I didn't think they. The way that they're losing is not the way that I thought they would lose. Uh, I thought they would have uh, bullpen issues and um, some of the back end starting rotation. Uh, would falter more than it has. I mean, uh, Jason Vargas is having... He's had an absurd month that I, I didn't see coming. Um, I, I thought he was going to be about what he had been, which is a slightly above four ERA pitcher. Um, and Nate Carnes, I thought, would, would you know struggle to a bit. I, I, I assumed he was going to end up at the bullpen at some point. And then... You know, between Danny Duffy and Ian Kennedy and the other guy whose name I'm forgetting right now, Jason, Jason Hamill. Hamill. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's okay. He's, uh, I, he's I been forgettable. He, yeah, I, I, I assumed that two of those three would be. I assumed that Duffy would be about what he had been last year. I don't, I don't, I don't think there there's an, enough of a track record with him yet, even though we have done a really good job of breaking him down over the last season and how well he has actually pitched. He didn't really have enough of a track record for me to be like, oh, he's going to be you know a five or six win pitcher. I, I assumed he would settle in right around three wins or maybe slightly more than that again this year. Um, and then Ian Kennedy would be a, a, about, about average. Um, and, and the rest of the rotation would struggle. And I assume the bullpen would, would, well, would basically be what the bullpen has been for the first month of the season, which is uh, Kelvin and then a lot of the, um, but the the struggles on offense have been completely blindsided me. Um, and I and I know that this team had stretches last year where they had they had similar performances. So it, it's not that what they're doing now is completely abnormal. Um, but at some point, last year's team still managed to, to start racking up streaks after losing streaks. Um, like in early June, they lost oh, something like eight in a row, nine in a row. I, I forget what it was off the top of my head. And then they won eight of their next nine. Um, to sort of balance it out, and there's enough here that makes you think that they'll be able to come back from this a little bit. I mean, Sean, you were saying that they're on track for 51 wins this season, yeah, and 51.84, which would be yeah, which would be very, I mean, which would be unheard of because 51 wins and they also won, you know, 0.84 of a game. That'd be amazing. That that would be amazing. It'd be it'd be one of those four and a half inning rainouts that happened. <laughs> um, 
And so they they can't be that bad. Like, there's too much talent on the team for them to be as bad as the 2004 Royals or the 2007 Royals. Like, there's too much good happening. There's too much good talent on the roster for, for them to be that bad. Um, but it's hard right now to perceive how they're going to be good. Like, is Alex Gordon uh, just kind of done? Like, is he just old and bad now at, you know, 33? Is he just kind of spent? Uh, is Eric Hosmer, is this more of what he's been in the ab- the abnormality years were the years where he th- we thought he was actually being good, and this is actually just the hitter he is. Or, you know, there's there's just so many bad things happening right now with the offense that it's like if even if half of the the major glaring problems went right, they would start winning more games. But I still don't think it's enough for them to really climb all the way back. You know, after losing. You know, what is it, 10 of 11 now? If they lose tonight? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, and and just, if you look at the rest of the division with Cleveland and Chicago and, you know, even Minnesota being better, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely more difficult. I mean, I don't want to be a doomsayer because it's May 2nd, but... Yeah. Might be time to start looking to to start calling some people and and seeing if they want anything off of your off of your table before July gets here. Yeah, see, I our preseason prediction things. I had the rotation. I actually was thinking the rotation was going to be an issue, and part of it has with Hamble and Carnes. But um, yeah, I mean Vargas being that good and Duffy being that good and. You know, as much as I, much to my chagrin, Ian Kennedy's been been decent enough. I think he's. Well, I don't even look him up real quick before I put my foot in my mouth. Yeah, a decent enough to opt out. That's the real no, question. Ab- absolutely not. Um, no one's gonna give him forty-one million or whatever uh, with the buyout. You know, whatever he would get with the buyout, which, yeah, which still doesn't. I mean, it makes sense. They're, they they just use it as a deferral of money, but still, he's gonna get six million dollars just for. Walking away from the club, um, but yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, they've been it's definitely been better, and so that's what's been interesting, better than I expected, and the offense has been worse than I expected. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, Max, what do you think? <laughs> well, um, that we didn't cover. I think yeah, I think you guys covered. I think it was kind of funny that uh, you know the Royals did. I think there was some some kind of news this off season when. They signed Moss and they traded for Solaire, and people are like, "Oh, they're shif- they're shifting strategies, kind of relying on power more." And now, now you're seeing like Fox Sports Kansas City had a tweet that said, "Are the Royals relying too much on home runs?" Oh, and yeah. now, like Lee Judge is writing articles about how like you know uh, can try to hit home runs all the time and singles are better. And so I, I, it's funny to kind of see this backdrop. It's not like they're even that good at hitting home runs. I mean, they're like tenth or eleventh in the league in home runs, which you know, it's fine considering their stadium, but it's not like they're bashing home runs all over the place, and um, that's not really the problem either. The problem is they're hitting like 200 as a team, not getting on base. They have a 
terrible approach to the plate where they're just swinging at everything. I think, I think they still lead the American League or the, all of baseball at uh, pitches they're swinging at out of the strike zone. So it's not – I mean, no one should be really, really surprised that the offense is doing poorly. Maybe, maybe it's a surprise they're doing this poorly, but, yeah. uh, you know, this has always been a team that's kind of been prone to streaks. And because of their approach to the plate, you know, they're, they're going to be – uh, you know, there, there might be a book out on them now. It's like, hey, you don't have to throw strikes to the Royals. They're going to swing at everything. Because uh, certainly that seems like their approach to, like, Escobar and, and Hosmer uh, have taken. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have any – I'm not a ray of sunshine when it comes to the offense right now. Yeah. And, Josh, you mentioned kind of with uh, where to go from here, where to navigate. Yeah, I mean, I think trades are going to be the most likely thing. Um, I'm working on a thing right now just trying to figure out when is two – when when is it how early can you decide that you're a selling team and it seems like from what i've kind of quantified a bit is that uh there is a significant difference between waiting from like mid-may to even like june 1st there's a pretty big jump in like kind of your expectancy um but then you know june is pretty much the same but then you know obviously late july is when you really know but I mean, if this team is, you know, 10, 15 games below 500 in June 1st, I mean, is that that's probably too early? You, I mean, not too early. That's probably good enough, right? So June, June what? Like June 1st. We'll say they're 15 games below uh, 500 June 1st. Too early? Mm. To start unloading? <sighs> Fifteen games below five hundred would put them what, like twenty four back of Cleveland. Yeah, something like that. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, because they're about to start playing Cleveland a bunch, I think, coming up. Yeah, like they, I think they have eight games against Cleveland in the next thirty days or something like that. Nine yeah. games, something ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's not too early for me, but then again, last June. And last July wasn't too early for me. Um, I, I I don't know. June first seems like a bad look in terms of PR. Uh, it, it it feels like if you're actively shopping Lorenzo Kane on June first, it's hard to sell tickets. Mm. So I'm 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 wondering how how much of you know, the fact that we don't see a lot of trades that happen, obviously because there's, you know, still four months of the season left, but one of the reasons why <clears throat> more trades happen the closer you get to the end of July is, is also just because teams don't necessarily want to admit that they're not trying to win baseball games anymore. Yeah. Because they still have to sell tickets and yeah. memorabilia and get people out to the ballpark. But, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I think... From a from a personal standpoint, fifteen games out on June one is a definite sell. Yes. At that point, you you have to be shopping players. And even though the regardless of even though he says that he doesn't shop players, they, that's right. Play. He doesn't shop players. Which is nuts. <laughs> He's not going to shop players around. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. I don't think like selling tickets is going to be a factor. I I I do think like by June you'll know. For sure, if this team is in or out of it, and I think the reason you don't see teams make trades earlier in the in the like like in June typically, and there's been a few like the Royals traded Carlos Beltran I think in late June, uh, Cliff Lee I think was traded once in late June. 
I think most of the time you you still don't see it because like teams are kind of waiting for like the best yeah. late offer they can they can get and yeah. and also I think teams are maybe a little hesitant to pull the trigger on a uh, on a big deal in June because some teams may mm-hmm. not they might want to assess whether or not they're really going to be in it because you know it takes like a you know a bad bad June to kind of take a good team out of the you yeah. know pennant race um, so. I don't expect the Royals to just start unloading guys in June. It'll probably be in, in July when, um, and you know, teams start feeling a little more urgency too. Especially once you know, once the first uh, domino falls, usually other teams will start. You know, oh, the the Yankees did something. We got to do something too. We got to go out. There's a run on relievers right now. We got to overpay for Kelvin Herrera. That's I think that's kind of a herd mentality that typically typically takes place in July. So I, yeah. I would expect you know, they may start listening. Because right now there's already reports that Kel- that the Nationals are interested in Kelvin Herrera and, and uh, Sam Mellinger had an article that t- today that says well the Royals haven't had any talks with them yet, which I wouldn't expect them to do at least for another month. But are they are they giving us Bryce Bryce Harper or Trey Turner for that? Yeah, which, which one? <laughs> I don't know. Harper's not a winner, man. He doesn't uh, he doesn't know how to win. Yeah. Where, where is it? Where's his rings? I don't think we'd want him. Yeah, yeah. Trey Turner only has four percent milk. Yeah. But wasn't there talk like people thought we were going to get Trey Turner for like Edison Valquez or something like that? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> How sure. is that going to happen? Oh, yeah. This must have been when Trey Turner was like 10 years old or something. And they go, oh, sure, we'll <laughs> so take that deal. But not, sure. not years current. Ago, yeah. Not current Trey yeah. Turner. Um, yeah, so I mean, I figure, and I know there's going to be a lot of kind of controversy around this, but should anybody be off limits if they decide to sell? I mean,. I, I know it's the bad PR to sell Duffy's, you know, after they signed him, but, I mean, is that, if that's the only hit, I mean, I don't know, is that too big of a hit, take a PR hit, if you can get a really good package back? Where's well, the yeah, my, my my stance is, like, no one should ever be off limits. Like, if you get overwhelmed with, like, just a ridiculous yeah. offer for Duffy, yeah, I mean, you should probably pull the trigger, but... Yeah, like, yeah, if you get I, Trey Turner or Bryce Harper... Yeah, yeah. If they if they come at you with that, then you got to at least consider that, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's probably poor form to trade a guy a couple months after you just sign him to an extension. It probably also sends you know it sends a bad signal to, to the fans, which I'm not sure you should care so much about that. But I think you should care about you know sending a message to players uh, that want to commit here. So and you know Dayton Moore, you know criticize him all you want, but I think he has at least created an atmosphere in Kansas City that players will want to commit here and, and maybe they would have anyway if they, you offer them enough money but you know that certainly it does seem to be more of a desire from players to want to commit here than there was you know seven eight years ago um but you know i don't know if you if you got a great deal i think you'd have to consider consider it for duffy consider it for salvi um but but it, it, it's hard to see it's hard to see them getting that kind of offer for those guys but i don't know what do you think josh i Nobody's off limits, and 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 I think I come at this from a from a slightly different perspective than um, probably Sean does. Is there is there is something to be said about keeping fan favorites in town that goes beyond just their value as a player. So Danny Duffy being essentially the the face of the Royals pitching staff for the next, you know, basically half decade. Like, that that has an effect greater than what his value is. He also happens to be a really good pitcher, 
So that plays a factor. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that if the Royals wanted to keep Chris Young around because he's a really nice guy, like, that's a good idea. It's not. Um, but nobody's off limits, but there's, I guess, what you would call, like, a like a hometown tax or a loyalty tax for some guys. Like, trading Duffy is going, one, it's probably not going to happen. But two, if it did happen, just from a from an organizational standpoint, he means more to us than he does to you. So you're going to have to pay me more to get him away from me. Yeah. Well. But yeah, go ahead, Tar. But other, but other than that, I mean, the Royals find themselves in a really interesting position, particularly with position players, where. Most of the guys that people would want to trade for aren't going to be here anyway after this season. So they they don't really have any any anything that is battened down um, that is of you know any sort of substantive trade value because I mean unless you're talking about trading prospects, which. Can you get the you know, ping pong out of here? Conceivably, I guess, but that would just be weird. But I mean, Lorenzo Cain, Mike Mustakis, and I guess Eric Hosmer, if somebody wants to fix his swing for him, are essentially the three most valuable position players that can be traded. And they're also the three guys who are not under contract after the season is over. Um, so those guys should definitely be shopped, I guess, which is you know a word that Dayton Moore doesn't like, but yeah. other than that, I mean, I'm a nail, I, I'm a, anybody that's not nailed down, I'm, or you know what, I, I'm going to yeah. take, take everybody. I don't even care about the nail down. I mean, really, if you can get a good price for Perez and Duffy, take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what good is whatever 31 year old Duffy going to have on a team that's rebuilding? I mean, it's nothing. I mean, He's, and he's, honestly, I, I think Perez is actually a, a really unique case because I think other teams view him because as an offensive player, he's roughly 10% below average, give or take. His career WRC Plus is 98, but over the last three seasons, it's gone down. Or four seasons. It went from 106 to 91 to 86, and then plateaued last year when it was in 88. He's only been a three-win player essentially twice in his career, and both of those happened three and four years ago. And and I think, again, kind of that conversation I was talking about intangibles and sort of the things that or difficult to quantify because it's an organizational whatever. Um, I think Salvador Perez can can be something to an organization that goes beyond numbers. Again, that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean you're going to get you know four top one hundred prospects back for him, but um, he's he's a, he's a kind of guy that I think teams value more than just his 
you know, his slash line and his wins above replacement. Well, and they uh, they for sure know that he's getting traded before July. I don't know. I can't make a good joke. I'm referencing how he drops off in production after every single basically July 1st. <laughs> so he's for sure getting traded prior to hopefully July 1st if that happens. Otherwise, uh, he's going to just lose his trade value. But Yeah. Maybe, maybe any team that gets him should, like, yeah. send him on vacation for, like, a week. You know, hey, why don't you go to spa for, yeah. like – for like July, the rest of July. Yeah. So he might well, be a better winter trade guy, just because you at least get the good production from him in the first half of the of the year. But and yeah, it's Max, and it's weird because it's it's. I mean, it's obviously it's obviously a case of overuse to a certain extent, but it's just weird how how telegraphed it is at this point. I mean, 150 games in 2014. And he, you know, saw a terrible drop off in 2015. 142 games, still dropped off pretty hard. 139 games last year, and you know he had he's had some like really really minor injuries over over those periods and things like that. So right around, yeah, right around like game 85. I get, I don't know. Maybe he goes, maybe he goes home during the All Star break, and then you know just has a huge party like a project x style party where he invites 3000 people to his house and everybody gets drunk and sleeps on the lawn and then he just never recovers i don't yeah. know yeah. yeah he could it'd be fun i'd go i wish he didn't invite me but you know we're not on speaking terms yeah maybe his steroids drop off or be or become ineffective i don't know uh so yeah. yeah. For the so, record, Salvador Perez does not do steroids. Hey, I I don't know. I mean, they if Jason Grimsley got busted for roids, I mean, come on, you can't. Yeah, but J- Jason Grimsley needed roids. Yeah. To be yeah, anyways. Uh, to be essentially viable. Yeah. Subpar, I yeah. guess. Isn't he the one who stole the bat out of the umpire's office for? Uh, yeah. Robert Bell. Bell. Yeah, Albert Bell. Hey. You know what? You know, not it's not that I'm looking forward to a bad Royals like stretch, but I mean we get some cool stories out of some bad Royals teams. It's so much easier to write about a bad team. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens. All sorts of the BB gun hitting the girl in the eye, D Brown whoever shot that. I mean, come on. Yeah, Emil Brown. Yeah. Emil Brown. Oh yeah, Emil. not B Brown. Emil Brown. That's three Mil Brown. Solid gold. There's a D. There was a D. Yeah, there's a D Brown. Okay, I was just make it. There sure. was a D Brown. He's D the Brown. the worst Royals player of all time. But he wins above replacement. What was the difference between D Brown and Emil Brown? Other than D Brown played first base, right? Emil Brown was a. Uh, in- Mil- no, they were both outfielders. Oh, what? I thought D Brown played first yeah. base. Oh. Yeah. Emil Emil Brown played left field mostly and was the worst average player in baseball. <laughs> like he led the team in RBI twice, I think. And he clearly didn't like Kansas City. <laughs> and when I said he led the team in RBI, I think his totals were something like 83 and 87. So yeah. it's not like Yeah, 3 you know. uh Three win player in 2006, yeah. Emil Brown. Yeah, pretty good. The, the worst average player yeah. of all time. 
That he was, is and so he, he's a career three and a half one player, and three point three yeah. of that war is from two thousand six. Interesting. Okay. Um, yep. And also the third hit on Google when you Google Emil Brown is remembering Emil Brown from Royals Review. I don't know. Let's see who wrote that. Oh, uh, f- uh, Fresnel. Fresnel wrote that. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. Now that so, we've gotten the, you know, now that we've gotten the mandatory Emil Brown highlight yeah, out of the, the way. The mandatory early two thousands Royals reference that yeah. we always seem to stumble into. Yeah. Oh, there's gonna be a lot more parallels drawn in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So um, anybody wanna talk about Terrence Long? <laughs> no. I want uh although you know, there's been a lot of Ryan Cheeley. I've seen a I've seen a lot of Ryan Sheely stuff come up recently for no random for random reasons, so I'm very happy about that. As an owner of a Ryan Sheely jersey, I am all for that. What's a jersey? You know, oh, it's the shirt. Yeah, jersey. Shirt jersey. Got it. Yeah, I've got a hat and a Mike McDougal. Those are the only Royals shirts I own, and I have a polo. Did they, did they give those away on a T-shirt Tuesday or something? Uh, no, I bought the Sheely one. The McDougal one, I'm not sure where you it came from. You bought Ryan Sheely jersey? Oh, yeah, dude. I love Ryan Sheely. I... Oh, wow. the, the, the best one of those that I have seen, uh, my friend owns a Ryan Buckvich jersey. Oh, man. I, I'm pretty sure he bought. And then he doesn't own anymore, but owned at one point a Jeff Austin jersey. Ooh. Sheely. That is quite possibly the the worst pair of Royals relievers yeah. jerseys that you could own, unless you had an Albi Lopez kicking around in your closet somewhere. There are three players. There's three ex-Rocky then Royal players. I think of it's Nephi Perez, Ryan Sheely, and can you guys think of who the third one is? It's ins- it's um, insanely Jeff random. Francis? No, it's no 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 no. It's uh. Curtis Lascanza. Uh, Felipe Paulino, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I didn't think of him. Wait, hold on. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Hold on, hold on, hold on. David Risky? No, he's from the Brewers, not the Rockies. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I like David Risky a lot. I thought he, he had a really good year with the Royals once, didn't he? It right. did. I think I had him uh, on a list of free agents, and he was like second yeah. or third in best value as far as what they paid him yeah. compared to his war. He was really good for the Royals. Yeah, he had a sub-3 ERA that one year for him. Okay. Yeah. One of Dayton's better free agent signings. Yeah, and then he during that period. Yeah, he was he was at the end of that period of time when the Royals would sign um, pretty average relievers and then trade them after a season or, or a season and a half. Uh, like they did it with David Risky, they did it with, or maybe they didn't do it with David Risky, but yeah, they did they it with like Curtis. I think they got a, I think they got a comp pick for Risky. Oh yeah. Yeah. What um? What about Brock? Was Broxton one of those too? Was he traded? Yeah, Broxton. They traded him to Cincy. Yeah. Cincy. Yes. Yeah, or Donnie no. Joseph. Donnie then, Joseph and some guy with an initial name. Oh, what was that guy's name? Oh, J C. J C. Solbarin. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why did yeah. Why didn't you think of that never, one, dummy? Never. Come on, Max. <laughs> yeah, how could you forget about J.C. Solberg? Whoa, whoa, hold on. Now i got to figure out where he's at. J.C. Solberg. Still in the minors. Yeah. Still hasn't made his debut. Yeah. He's only a few months older than me. Uh, or younger than me. Um, trying to remember all the Royals relievers they acquired just so that they could trade them. Yeah. 
Curtis Laskanik was one. Um, there was uh, his name started with it was a uh, he had like a Q in it. Had a Q. Dang it! I'm gonna have to look him up now. Um, Umberto this was... <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think anybody could. Big fan. I don't think anybody big, wanted. Quintero. Oh, Fifty-nine WRC plus for the Royals. Not good. Wasn't Oh Dallas Perez? Ah. <laughs> Remember? What about Justin Maxwell? Now I'm looking at X Man. Astros turn Royals. Justin Maxwell. I remember one guy, God, I don't, you know, I can't think of who it was, but I remember someone on Twitter was so pumped about acquiring Justin Maxwell. And he was good for that half season. Uh, I mean, the half season he joined, but then he was just bad the next year. He hit that like, grand slam, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, man, we've got our everyday right fielder figured out. And then he puts up a negative one win season. Over 20 games. See, this is how bad the Royals have play this April we're reminiscing about yeah. 2007 to 2013 era Royals yeah. <laughs> walking down if, memory lane yeah. if only because this team is sort of reminding us of those teams oh yeah <laughs> which is just probably the biggest insult that I, I could really come up with at yeah. this point is just you make me think of the period of time when Jeff D'Amico was on the roster <laughs> But but again, for the listeners at home, negative one win in 20 games. That's insane. He was worth, in 20 games, he was that bad. He was on base for like a, a negative five, six win season. Anyways, he was bad. Yeah. Justin Maxwell. I mean, Jose Guillen was, was that bad, but he stretched it out over like yeah. you know, it took, 90, 90 games or something. Okay, um, let's, let's talk about Eric Hosmer real quick. Talking about negative one win guys, Eric Hosmer... Um, soon free agent soon to be. You know what? And here's a good question: Why do we talk? I know why. We talk about Eric Hosmer maybe more than anybody else. Just kind of maybe Royals Twitter, everybody as a whole. He's not a very good player. Like if he wasn't a first round draft pick and you know hadn't had his All Star game and the be the MVP and the futures or not the futures the the whatever um, uh, the World Baseball Classic. Like he's not a great player he's been worth like five wins his whole career you know he's had two three win seasons but then he's had those awful negative below you know replacement level seasons. but like it's just weird we spend a lot of time talking about this guy who is mainly popular because of a, a couple things i mean he was drafted early he was a early first round pick he's had some good years and he's won some gold gloves like he's He's just not that good of a player, but he's talked about a lot. Am I crazy? Is that making sense? Does everybody get what I'm saying here? No? You're saying that he's not good, and we spend too much time talking about him. But, yeah. But, but we it, should probably talk about him. Well, yeah. That's, but, that's the gist of it. But I'm saying, like, a, look at the guys who have a career of five wins, like, for their career. What other five-win career player is getting talked about as much? Overall, like, ESPN, you name it, as much as Eric Hosmer. I don't think there are any. No, it's it's been one of the most baffling things to me, just like how he gets talked about by two two different sets of like fans, yeah. really, or, or pundits as well. Like there are people who, and I think I'm in your camp, where I see his numbers, and instead of the you know the superstar treatment, I see more of a James Loney or Casey Kochman or J.T. Snow, a guy who's, and I think he's like a better defender than the metrics say, but he's not a great defender. 
and he's certainly a well below average hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty established now through six major league seasons. Like that is what he is. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to get a whole lot better. He's not going to probably get a whole lot worse. And then there are some people who see a superstar who's a, and you know I know Scott Boris has kind of thrown out Mark Teixeira, and I think everyone kind of thinks that's silly, but. There are people that think that he's a very clutch hitter, a superstar. Jim Leyland, manager of Team USA, thinks yeah. he's a better first baseman than Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt yeah. I mean, the Royals have reportedly said he's worth more than Brandon Belt, which he's, you know, look at the numbers, and he's not. But uh, so there's this huge dichotomy uh, between people in baseball. So I'm really interested in seeing, like, what does he get this offseason? Because uh, it only takes one team to kind of buy into the mystique of Hosmer to give him that kind of deal. But is is there that team left? Like, I think pretty much every team has a pretty robust analytics department. Now, there may be a GM that overrides that department, sometimes like the Royals. Um, you know, Dave Dombrowski with the Red Sox might be that kind of guy. He's kind of more old school, comes from the scouting school. So he's a possibility, and the, the Red Sox don't really have a long-term answer at first. But... I mean, I think most teams are going to look at the metrics and say, yeah, that's a guy that probably should get, like, a two- or three-year deal at most. Yeah. Uh, worth, like, you know, $30, $40 million uh, total value. Not a guy that should get five or six, seven-year deal, over $100 million contract. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of bizarre to me just how wide of a gulf there is between uh, people that think he's a superstar and people that think he's probably, you know, pretty, pretty below-average first baseman. But yeah. Career, I think. Oh, real quick, so career FWAR, Fangraphs WAR, similarities. You've got Eric Hosmer at 5.3, followed by Jeff Francoeur at 5.4, Ryan Rayburn at 5.5. The, all right, I'm sorry, go ahead, make your point. I just, oh, now I'm frustrated. Well, I mean, I think in, in regard to the perception discussion, um, I think it's as simple as saying that Eric Hosmer had his best season when the Royals had their best season yeah, in the yeah. last 30 years. Yeah. Like, it's, like, his best year was 2015, and the Royals' best year in three decades was 2015. And so, for better or worse, he will always be associated with that season and specifically with, you know, a very particular moment in the World Series yeah. that everyone will continue, you know, to, to sort of give him, you know, credits for or, or put on him or, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it or whatever you want to look at. Um, and so I think he is intrinsically tied to that season in, in, the, in the mind of, of, of fans anyway. And in, in, in sort of, in the mind of, of the casual fan, it doesn't necessarily... You know, pay. It, I mean, they see that he's won three gold gloves. They know that he, um, you know, broke for home in the World Series and tied the game. Like those are the things that they know and that they remember. And nobody really remembers, you know, in you know 2014 when he was essentially an average hitter for a year. Or nobody remembers 2012 when well below average that year. He, he was 20 percent below average as you know a second-year player, and it's it's frustrating It's frustrating for a couple of reasons. One, his issue is so identifiable. Uh, he has a terrible swing. He has a terrible swing path, more than anything. 
Um, and it's it's one of those things that you, you even to a, a a you know somebody who watches baseball, you know, on a semi limited basis, it's so easy to identify what his issue is in in terms of his swing that the Royals haven't done anything about it really. I mean, maybe they've made some adjustments here or there, but if you if you pull up tape from, you know, 2011 or 2012, his swing looks roughly the same as it did 5 years ago. The difference being is that it's worse now, I guess, or he's less lucky. I I mean, it's some combination of the two. Um, he's kind of had these weird, wild swings in Babbitt um, over the years. So when his ground balls find holes, he has good seasons is really the long and short of it. Yeah. Um, and that's not happening so far this year. And so he's having his worst season so far. Yeah, it's, it's strange to notice that. I mean, it, it almost makes you wonder, like, his ground ball rates were the exact same in the minors as they are now. So it's really kind of makes you wonder, man, how did he have, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, he was young and he was beaten up on, you know, talent lesser than him. Um, But it's like, man, he dominated a lot in in the minors, but, you know, with one season, he, you know, he hit 70% ground balls uh, over the uh, 27 games. So it's kind of like, man, how did he do this? But still was good. But yeah, I mean, he just beat up on, younger guys and that's I don't know something oh, that's kind of crazy and, I didn't know that well and and you know everybody everybody brings up the fact that Hosmer this year has hit the hardest ball oh. or until recently yeah. I won't I want to say but it was yeah the hardest hit ball that you know struck the ground about 15 feet away from home plate yeah. and then you know made its way into the second baseman's glove who threw it to first and it was an L. So there's the the ultimately the frustrating thing about Eric Hosmer will be the fact that um it seems like from an outside perspective that really minor adjustments would have made him into the superstar that everybody thinks that he is. But what he really is like Sean mentioned, is Ryan, Ryan Rayburn, Rayburn. But with three gold gloves and a World Series ring. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting when we look back on Hosmer, I don't know, five, ten years from now, not knowing at this point what he what he's going to get in free agency, but it'll yeah. be interesting yeah, to I mean, see, like, man, why did that happen? You know, depending on what Yeah, happened. I mean, there's... There's a very distinct possibility, and we we have joked about it for you know half a decade now. But there is a very very real possibility that Eric Hosmer is going to make his way to a different organization, and they are going to fix his swing, and he is going to become the player he should have been three years ago yeah. or four years ago. Uh, and as a Royals fan, that is remarkably frustrating, and it. It makes, and if that happens, it will make you wonder if it's an organizational thing or if it's Eric Hosmer. And the fact that we don't really know that is kind of where some frustration comes in. And I know that Sean has written about whether or not the Royals have a drafting problem, and I have written about whether or not they have a development problem. 
and there's a lot of evidence there to support both factors, especially over the last three or four years, that not only have the Royals not drafted super great, but they've also had developmental issues essentially at every level of minors for a lot of guys. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing for Bubba Starling to be a project player that needs, you know, four or five years in the minors to, to become an average hitter. It's another thing for Bubba Starling to spend six years in the minors and he is still, like, the worst hitter that you can imagine, like, in AAA. And he's in AAA for reasons. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's... And it's it's something that we've seen before, I mean, recently with Raul Mondesi, um, why he was in the major leagues at all, ever, is ridiculous uh, from an organizational standpoint. Um, Salvador, Salvador Perez got rushed to the majors, even though that has sort of worked out. Um, you wonder if he would have been able to develop a little more plate discipline as a you know, 22, 23-year-old in the minors than what he has now, which is essentially none, um, if he... And so, and between that and Eric Hosmer and some of the pitching development problems, particularly with starters, I mean, until Danny Duffy and, you know, Jordano Ventura was, was kind of getting there. Um, but he, you know, has had struggles in, in the majors before he passed away, and... So there's there's a lot to look at organizationally and just say, like, well, the Royals' best homegrown player of the last 12 years or so, the two best, I guess you would say, is probably Alex Gordon and Zach Greinke. And both of those guys were Allard Bear draft picks, right? Uh, Zach Greinke and Alex Gordon? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And... Both of those guys at least started in the minors under the under the previous organizational development. Uh, and Zach Granke, you know, is <laughs> equally eccentric and uh, wonderful pitcher who, you know, won a Cy Young Award and then was traded. Um, and then should have won another Cy Young Award, but everybody fell in love with Jake, with Jake Arrieta for reasons that escaped me. Um... And Alex Gordon became really good for a decent amount of time. Uh, but it took a really long time to get there, and it didn't last as long as we think it should have. And so it's... I, I, this is a hard conversation to have when you're two years removed from winning the World Series. But I, I think legit, it's a legitimate concern that this Royals organization may not be as good at player development as we think they have been. And that will be an issue if it continues uh, for the next you know three or four years as they try and put a new team together. I mean, the best the best player they have on the offense right now is Lorenzo Cain, and he was a he was traded for. Uh, and so it's it's just it's frustrating that one, that Eric Hosmer is struggling as much as he is. Um, that is probably the biggest thing. And then two, that there's some guys in the minors right now that give you some hope to being 
that give you some hope about the future. Ryan O'Hearn being one um, that Sean loves, and I also am admiring him. Uh, and there's you know some other guys down there, but it, it just organizationally speaking, it's it's a concern that I have moving forward. Um, and so I'm hoping that they will trade some of these guys. You know, before Lorenzo Cain gets hurt, uh, would be great. Yeah. And get people into the system so they can actually start working with them. You know, start rebuilding a team that honestly probably should have been blown up this last winter. Yeah, and you but, wonder, though, and say, oh, great. Oh, yeah, let's trade these guys, assuming we're going to get good assets in return, which isn't the case. Obviously, it was right. a different team, a different front office, but, I mean, yeah. the Beltron trade didn't quite work out very well. I mean, there's, it's not a guarantee to get good players, you know, in return necessarily. So that's, yeah. that's the other thing why drafting has to matter. You have to be able to draft good players and they simply haven't done that. So I know a lot of us are hanging our hats on like, okay, let's get the rebuild going. But it's like, man, even the rebuild might not be as great as we think it is going to be. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, a few times, like, you know, you look at the Braves and the Astros and the Cubs with their rebuilding movements, like, they really, a lot of those teams, Cubs got a few good players, but, like, the Astros didn't really get that many good players for the guys they traded away, like yeah. Roy Oswald, yeah. Lance Berkman, and, uh, you know, the longtime Astros that had been there. They traded them away, and they didn't get a whole lot for them. Right. It was really just, they were really good at, when the new administration came, they were really good at drafting. They were really good at finding good trades and useful players off the waiver wire, like Colin McHugh. And, you know, developing guys like Dallas Keuchel, who wasn't a high-round pick, yeah. just a guy that kind of developed. So, um, and, you yeah, know, just, you just Carlos need to be Ferreira. better. Yeah, well, Carlos Trail helped. You know, tanking got him a good good pick. But other than that, they didn't really – a lot of the – you know, their other high-round picks were kind of bust. Mark Appel and um, yeah. who's the other guy that uh, kind of – Brady Aiken. Oh, yeah. Uh, didn't yeah. really yeah, – he didn't even yeah. sign him. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, it's like you just – Really, to get better, you just need to get good players. I mean, you can do it, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can skin a cat, but, I mean, right. they, they just need better at building a roster than they've been this year, at least. You know, they, so they have a decent track record, I guess, in the last couple of years. But, yeah, I share your concern that, like, the player development side has just been kind of a disaster the last couple of years. And, Sean, you've written a lot about this, and especially about the, the change in scouting directors, how that's kind of been their downfall. But uh, So I don't know if you want to get too much into, into that. No, sure. you want to well, – did you want to talk a little bit about the trades too? Like how, like what sure. you think they can get? And I wanted to point out real quick that I mean, even when you talk about the Cubs, if, if people want to point to the Cubs as like the like, oh, it's possible to do it real quick. Look at their first round picks. I'm looking on here. It's since 2011. It's Javier Baez hit, Albert Amara hit, Chris Bryant hit, Kyle Schwarber hit, Ian Happ hit. I mean, they hit hard on you know yeah. what, several first round picks. Like yeah, they were early, but I mean, it's still like. I mean, think about all the Royals players that they had early first-round picks. Like, they're not always going to be hits. And, like, not that the Cubs got lucky, but, I mean, they nailed their pa- – I mean, they nailed Bryant, Schwarber, Hap all in a row. Um, Bryant's one of the best players in baseball. Schwarber's pretty dang good, and Hap looks like he's going to be pretty good too. So it, it takes extreme luck to even get to where the Cubs were to begin with. And not even luck. I mean, it could be a mix, but – they also busted on Pierce Johnson and uh, Paul Blackburn, uh, who were first-round picks for them, too. So, ah, Anyways, uh, but yeah, for, for uh, trade-wise, I think – do you guys think it's better? I think it's always – I think it would make more sense to package Kane and Herrera separately than together 
unless the team I, I don't know I always like I always feel like leveraging you know two different teams because if you try if you traded them both together you might get a better return but you're still drawing from a well at only a finite well you know you're only looking at that organization's prospects so why not split up and maybe get some more diversification in there and getting other guys but I mean am I alone in that thought that I would rather just piecemeal everybody rather than you know make one big lump package and put it all on on black with those prospects no I, I totally agree I, I I've always been to that strategy and I think a lot of times fan fans when they when they propose deals they usually only see it from one side, which yeah. is the Royal side, you know, or the whatever team they're trying for. And they're like, well, if we package these two together, you know, they see it as a formula. If we package these two t- guys together, that means we can get their top prospect. But that's that's not really how it works because the other team you're dealing with, they may say, well, that top prospect's untouchable. We're not dealing with that guy. Or, you know, uh, that, that top prospect maybe plays a position you don't really need. Or, you know, whatever. You know, there's a lot of complicating things that go into it. Or maybe they don't want to take on the salary of Kane and Herrera, yeah. or maybe you know, there's you know, they, they may not have a need for Kane, or maybe they, maybe they don't need Herrera. So yeah, I agree. I think the more you split these guys up, you can yeah leverage several different you know. There's going to be a market for Herrera. Several different teams are going to be after him. There's going to be a market for Kane. Several different teams are going to be after him. If it happens to be the same team that gives you the best deal for both of them, yeah. and you package them together, then that makes sense. But I wouldn't go out of my way to to kind of package them together. And I think you bring that up because I guess there's talk about. The Nationals being interested in Kelvin Herrera, and of course Adam Eaton's out, and Lorenzo Cain would obviously be a very, very good fit there if they decide they need to go external to fill that need. Um, and so I've heard some people say like, "Oh, well, if you package Herrera and Cain, Victor Robles is one of the top twenty prospects in all of baseball, <laughs> yeah, an outfield prospect. Yeah. He could be, he could be a play, which I think that's pretty far fetched yeah. because he's yeah, kind of one of those untouchable guys unless you get like." A pitcher that's under, you know, an elite pitcher that's under two or three years of club control. You're not going to deal a guy like Robles. You're not going to deal him for a guy that has two months of control. Yeah. So, well, look at yeah. the guy that they're trying to replace. They're 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 trying to swap Cannon for Eaton. Eaton himself was literally just traded for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Both right. those guys. Giolito was a top ten prospect in baseball. Robles is a top ten prospect in baseball. And Eaton's controlled into like 2022 or something like that. Like yeah, he's yeah. around for a long time. So yeah. And he was a six six win player last year. Yeah, he's a really good. I mean, he's Kane, but he's Kane as if you controlled Kane for more than just the next three months. You, you younger, know. younger, and more and durable. Young, well, yeah. I guess maybe not more durable. <laughs> well, and not relying on defense more so. I mean, Eaton's right. a yeah. pretty good hitter. Uh, I'm yeah. not the Kane's a bad hitter, but. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, no, I think that – and also it's a matter of – I kind of hate that forced necessity where it's like, oh, the Nationals need a center fielder. They're obviously going to trade for Kane. Well, no, I mean they might like their internal options more than what they would like lose trade, in like, trading. Yeah, I mean like not that they do Kane, but yeah, Trey Turner, right. They can move him to center field. Um, and so, yeah, I mean I, I'm all for moving the guys, and I think, you know, Moustakas, you could find someone for – Kane Herrera, you can find someone for um, Vargas. You know, you could probably find someone to take Vargas. Someone who needs like a back end, like like maybe I don't know, like the Astros. I'm just thinking of uh, someone who. And there's obviously going to be another pitcher injured here in the next month or two when players are needed. So yeah, I mean, everybody has pieces. But what do you do with Eric Cosmer? Where does he go? 
I honestly am not sure that you could trade him. Yeah, I think I think anything like that. anything anything substantive currently. Anyway, I mean, if he, you know, if he hits, you know, three twenty, four hundred, five hundred over the next month, and you know, hits you know ten home runs or whatever, and then, yeah, sure, somebody's going to trade for him because he's he has enough of a reputation for being a decent hitter sometimes that a team is going to be willing to give up something of value for him but the current incarnation of Hosmer the the guy with the like what 68 wrc plus although it you know went down after tonight so call it 65 uh is a is a 30% below average hitter with you know, defense that is either really good or completely terrible. Nobody nobody really seems to know. The metrics say he's bad, but baseball says he's good. Yeah. So Well I don't I don't think there's anything I don't think there's any value that you can actually get for him right now that would be like, oh, like yeah, you should, you know, totally yeah. trade him to the Yankees for like Justice Sheffield or something. Like yeah. Yeah. And he's and he's like, you know, a bottom fifty on the on the top one hundred. Like he's, you're you're probably not going to get that kind of return for Eric Hosmer. Here the yeah, uh, I think he'll, he'll probably get go on a streak too. I think he'll get he'll warm up and maybe that'll convince some team that he's yeah. worth it. But the problem is like first basemen don't get traded at the yeah. deadline a lot of times because there's usually not a need. I mean, usually if you're playing well into July, that means your first baseman's a big part of that. Um, and I'm just looking like teams that have struggled with the first baseman, like the Yankees, I guess, have. Exactly what I was With Greg Burt. Yeah, so they'd be a candidate right now. Uh, the Indians are kind of struggling at first base. But, you know, Carlos Santana, you're not going to replace him with no. Carlos Santana and Edwin Encarnacion. And, and, and so, I mean, the Rangers, you know, they've... Uh, they have Gallo. They have a, I mean, they'd rather do Gallo yeah. there, yeah. I think Joey Gallo could replace Mac, Mike Napoli, so they don't seem like they'd be a, a, a you know, great candidate. A lot of people mentioned Boston at the beginning of the year, but Mitch Moreland's played yeah. really well for them. Yeah. So there's got to be a really specific need, and then that team's got to feel like Hosmer is the player to fill that need. Now, you know, I don't know if there's going to be that kind of situation. So. Yeah, and the Red Sox have Travis the Shaw. Player to, as well. The player yeah. to fill that need for a price that they're willing to, right. to pay for too. Yeah, is, are we willing to give up? Or, I mean, yeah, will we give up? You know, these prospects in exchange yeah, for them? Because it's a it's a very narrow band of teams that are a competing. B need first base help and think that Eric Hosmer is the answer, and have the prospects that the Royals would want. I mean, the Royals may look over the prospects right. and say, "Well, that's not really much to offer." So, pass. Yeah, but the problem I mean, is you're it, stuck in that that corner where you have to trade him. Like that's the kind of, and maybe that's going to work against the Royals because, like, keeping them does does them no. Assuming he's kind of the same as he is now. Like he's not going to get a qualifying offer at this point. I don't know. Maybe he would. Oh, I think he will. I think he will. I think he will, and I think he'll turn it down. And yeah. I think it'll be a bad idea. Okay. I think I, think I, I def I yeah. I think he will get a qualifying offer, and I think he will turn it down. Okay. And I, I mean, and I, think, I, I, I think he'll be roundly mocked for doing so. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and I well, and we're saying that now because Eric Hosmer is hitting so poorly, why well, wouldn't what I'm he yeah. accept a qualifying offer? If he goes into but, the, that's what I'm saying. If he goes into the offseason hitting pretty much what he's hitting now, sub-70 WRC+, plus, he's not going to get a qualifying offer. 
Uh, oh yeah, but I, he's gonna yeah, yeah. No, he'll uh, be better. He'll end the year. Yeah. He'll end the year like around two sixty with like fifteen home yeah. runs and no. Yeah. I mean, I would. I, I assume I would. I would at this point he's the best comp that I can probably get is he'll probably hit somewhere between his, like his two thousand twelve line and his line from last year. There's yeah. no team that looks so I, I, for offering a qualifying offer. There's no team. Yeah. It's always up to the player for declining or accepting it, and it's always up to the team. Yeah. Like, when you look at the Michael Kadire uh, qualifying offer, oh, yeah, the Rockies mm-hmm. were brilliant to offer him that because he declined it, and then the Mets went and signed him and lost their pick, and now they got a pick for a guy that should never have gotten in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. the Royals have very yeah, little I, disincentive to not offer him that. Um, unless he hits like this for the rest of the year, I don't think there's any way that the Royals don't give him a QO. Ever. I think even, even if he does, though, I oh, think yeah. they would. Because they'll, they'll be like, he'll bounce back next yeah. year. We'll, yeah. take, we'll take a $17 million that, gamble. That's a good point. I mean, so he's had bad seasons before. and they Sure, you know, absolutely. They, like, they gave him almost 700 plate appearances the following year, and he had the second best season of his career. So I'm guessing that they're thinking... This will actually be the f- like the first time since his sort of rookie year, sophomore year, that he will have had two, two straight seasons of negative value. So, there, that's good, I guess, right? But he had a hundred RBI last year. Do you yeah. Like, were you even? Are you even looking oh, at the relevant stats? Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring it, and he had twenty five home runs. So I see yes. this stat on Twitter a couple times where it's like, there's only one first baseman last year that had. Hit 260, <laughs> had 100 RBIs, 25 home runs, and won a Gold Glove, and it's Eric Hosmer. I'm like, okay, right. uh, that's one 260. Of- that's a really high. That's yeah. a really high standard. Man. Yeah, yeah. You're eliminating. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me see. Uh, go ahead, you guys continue. I'm gonna. See. So, so, like, even like under the traditional stats, like, right. Well, he's not and- like like okay, Kaufman Stadium suppresses home runs. Guess yeah. what? It doesn't suppress batting average. Yeah. George Brett hit almost 400 in the stadium. Like Eric Hosmer. Like uh, Sam Ellinger, and Sam, Sam's a really good writer, and he I think he understands Hosmer's limitations. But he was comparing. He's, really he's, nice, yeah. he's a super nice guy. But Sam was writing that you know I think you know Hosmer's realizing or the Royals are realizing he's more Mark Grace or Keith Hernandez yeah. than say uh, Miguel Cabrera. And I'm like, man, I wish he was Keith Hernandez. That guy hit 300 as a, for his career. Mark Grace hit 300 in his career. They both were excellent defenders. Hosmer has hit 300 in his career once. Yeah, he's a 278 lifetime hitter. That yeah. is, I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a 300 hitter, spraying the ball into the gap, sitting 40 doubles a year. I mean, if he doesn't hit yeah. 20 home runs, that's fine. That is what I he mean, is. But man, he should be a better offensive player. Mark Grace's best season was almost two full wins better than Eric Hosmer's best season, and they happened at relatively similar ages. Like Mark Mark Grace, well, that's technically not true. Mark Grace was thirty at the time of his best season. Yeah, well, and those guys put uh, up thirty more wins afterwards too. I mean, those guys weren't just like okay yeah, players. Yeah. I mean, they were really good players for the after that. So this brings up an interesting point. Now that we've gotten around to the qualifying offers, uh, that brings up a point because we we're talking about trades. Are the Royals better off not trading these guys and giving them all QOs and then taking the picks? No, you're you're generally better off taking the 
the picks. I mean, taking the players than you are the uh, the QO. Um, yeah. Just because you kind of know what you're getting and you can pick it out and yeah, you kind of really bring up your bus level. I mean, you really bring up the bar for your bus level a little bit more rather than taking. I mean, you know, would you rather have five hundred dollars now or you know seven hundred dollars a year from now? You know, something like that. I don't know, but it just depends. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion. I just thought it was a question that we should ask. Yeah. And by the way, and I think also like. No, I also think yeah. I, th- I think too that like Date Moore doesn't want a long drawn out rebuilding process. So he'll probably want guys. He'll probably prefer guys that are kind of closer to major league ready that you get in a trade rather than a draft pick that will take four or five years to get major league. You know, really become a regular. So I don't know. You know, my guess is that that'll probably be a factor as well. So what do you what do you think a good return for Lorenzo Cain is then? Uh, a fringe top uh, Juan Soto of the Nationals, if they want to do that, like a a back end top one hundred guy. Um, okay. If they packed him with Herrera, maybe you get Juan Soto and uh, I, Eric. Uh, I don't know Eric Feedy or uh, I like uh, Jesus Lazard. <laughs> from the Nationals. So, yeah, I mean, something like that. Something that's like, okay, solid prospect, decent second guy who has a shot to be a solid prospect. If that makes sense. So, is Herrera Herrera more than that because he has another season left? Or is he... I don't I think, know. I think he's, he's a reliever, which yeah. I guess, you know, deflates his value, but... Yeah. It probably, it probably depends, too, what we're going to see because, like, Herrera... Uh, you know, he hasn't. He's been, I think, a little bit overrated just because, like, his strikeouts have been kind of going down. And he's not like he doesn't strike out like ten or eleven per nine like a lot of other elite relievers yeah. do. But you know, he's still. I think he's. I think he does kind of have. A, there's a, a little mystique with the Royals relievers where like they get a little bump yeah, reputation wise yeah. because of that. You know, like he's part. He was part of HDH that won a championship. So that'll probably help a little bit. Uh, but you know, it kind of depends what he does this year. I right. think. If he has a pretty solid year, like what you would expect, yeah, I think he probably gets more than Kane just because he has an extra year of value plus the draft pick compensation yeah. that the team would get next year from him. Yeah, the the Chapman Miller packages aren't aren't there, but no, certainly uh, certainly something. Uh, I just now drew blank. Yeah, certainly something that's that's decent. I mean, enough that I would I would probably expect back. Like, what did? Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez brought back, or no, Andrew Miller was traded for Eduardo Rodriguez before Andrew Miller was then a free agent, I think, pretty quick after. And Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, was like a 50-ish overall guy, so I think that's reasonable. Um, I, you know, Andrew Miller's very good. Andrew Miller's better than Kelvin Herrera, but it was also a half a season of Andrew Miller against a year and a half of Kelvin Herrera, so that kind of evens it up a bit. But um, What do you think, do you think of, like, like uh, the Will Smith trade is like a comp yeah. I know, smith had like three years i think maybe left yeah yeah i thought that yeah i thought that was a good one i'm trying to remember who it was Rick. uh i remember like bill, bill, bill bickford was it that oh oh that's right i like the idea of um a bickford, bill bickford guy. And i don't Andrew like bickford Susan. himself but but like a that kind of player sure like yeah yeah like um, was he was kind of a fringy top 100 guy well yeah yeah and they got susak who's not too bad um but yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez was, per Baseball America, I mean, he was a 65th overall prospect in 2014 and 59. So yeah, I mean, he, I really like Eduardo Rodriguez to begin with, even, you know, the majors. And so yeah, I mean, it's, 
Um, of course, he was a completely different player as soon as he went to the Red Sox. But, um, yeah, I, I think he could probably get something like that, which is a pretty good return. I mean, that would instantly be the Royals' best prospect. <laughs> That's yeah. a high bar. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so a hand, like, not even a handful, I guess, like a fingerful of fringe top 100 guys is, is probably probably what fans should expect, give or take. Yeah, and that would help out the farm system, I mean, quite a bit. Sure. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean... Well, the Royals, the Royals are staring down the barrel of, of, of potentially having traded the best two pitchers that they've ever developed in Sean yeah. Maya and Cody Reed. Yeah, so, well, yeah. they, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. If they trade for a pitcher, he's not going to be any good anyways. So, I mean, they might as well trade for only <laughs> And even Such then, those hitters, uh, who knows? They're not going to walk. Well, so. I mean, uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. Cody Reed has not done yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah, but, Cody Reed hasn't been good. Finnegan, I think, has been a little better, but now he's hurt. Um, but like even like Odorizzi, Sean Manaya, who has also been hurt, is been pretty okay until yeah. you know. Well, and even like Odorizzi's been decent. I mean, he's pretty good. And, and yeah, I mean, he had a three-win season at one point, right? Yep, 2015, and he was a two-win player and yeah. a two-win player the year before and the year after. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's yeah. he's he would slot very nicely into the Royals rotation. Um, yeah. We're really makes all those Jeremy you, Guthrie starts. Really makes you wonder. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. All right. I think we've talked about as much as we <laughs> we can on a seven and eighteen win team, um, or whatever they are. Um, any last words? Anything else we we want to talk about or try and cover? Well, I got I, I got to do my random Royals fact oh, for the episode. Go ahead. Please. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Beltran. 2002 led the Royals with 35 stolen bases. Second on the team was good old friend Michael Tucker. Ah, okay. Uh, 23. Oh, speaking of Carlos Beltran, he's probably a Hall of Famer, right? Like a baseball Hall of Famer? Um, yeah. Eh, that's a tough sell. I think he should be, but I, I think he'll be on the ballot for a while before he gets in. Yeah. Like Because he, he doesn't have like the narrative and the like he yeah. doesn't pass the feels like a Hall of Famer test, yeah. which yeah. I think and, a lot of writers do. And so, and so, I was was kind of looking at this the other day, and I didn't get too far into it. According to the uh, whatever the the Hall of Fame statistics that uh, Baseball Reference uses, mm-hmm. he's batting wise a likely Hall of Famer has like 100 points on their you know, meter or whatever. Carlos Beltran's at 126. Oh, okay. And for their Hall of Fame standards, the you know the average Hall of Famer has fifty points or you know of whatever, and Carlos Beltran's at fifty two. Yeah. So he's I think he's a borderline guy, but uh, yeah, definitely borderline guy. I don't like I don't feel strongly one way or the yeah. other about him being. Did Kenny Lofton fall off like immediately? Yeah, uh, yeah, like Kenny Lofton fell off, okay. and he's a guy that should have gotten way more consideration yeah. than he did. So that's what I think Beltran's going to be like. I think yeah. that. If they're if he's on a year where there's not a lot of great choices and I don't know what's coming up, then I think he gets in. But if he's going up against like you know kind of real strong guys or like a bevy of strong guys, especially with like pitchers who all of a sudden can't get in, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I think he's uh, he's in the hall of very good. He's in the Adrian Beltre hall, you know. 
Like that kind of guy, not like a Cal Ripken Jr. Well, Adrian Beltre is going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, Beltre's a, I think Beltre's a slam dunk. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Beltre, but I I don't know. I, I think he's I think Beltre's mm. the guy that's just going to be around for a while. He might get in, he might not, but I don't think he's he he would probably be slam dunk for me. But I I don't vote. You know, I'm not he's, in the. He's coming well, up just, on three thousand hits, which is usually pretty. Uh, yeah. That's the okay. I I, I didn't well, know he was that and, high up on it. I mean, he's like just yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. He's got eighty-one wins in his career. I mean, that's a lot. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, he's the player type that I think that maybe we he'll be underrated when it comes to that. But I didn't realize he was at three thousand. Yeah, I can see that. Close. Yeah. Doesn't Beltre also have gold gloves? Oh, uh, yeah. He's possibly one of the better best yeah. defenders. Yes, like he's, of his era. He's got like yeah. a, a and he's a not that far away from right? five hundred. Yeah, he's. Okay, you know what? Take he's got. He's got. Okay, so so here's here's just for comparison's sake. Adrian Beltre has five gold gloves. He has uh, about 445 home runs and he got about he got MVP votes, 16, didn't he? 1600 RBI right now. And yeah, he finished second in MVP voting once. Oh really? Finished top. Finished top ten. Several times. Five other times. Okay, yeah. yeah. I figured there's That's, right. So it's that's actually yeah, look, look, looking at his awards though. He, he has only made the All Star team four times. He's only finished top five in MVP, in MVP balloting. Twice. That's right. not particular. Like that kind of says he wasn't really that well respected, you know, as during his career. But I mean, I, know, I don't know. Like MVP voting, like, like I mean, Mike Messina finished sixth in Cy Young voting like seven times. You know, like he's yeah, but that was a pretty stacked era too. I think right. Yeah. But, but I think yeah. and, and, and he's also not in. I think because of the same perception that he was more of a compiler rather than outstanding great, you know, great pitcher like yeah, I mean, pitcher Martinez who doesn't have a lot of counting stats, but of course everyone recognizes he was outstanding. Yeah. yeah. Carlos Beltran has, has 423 home runs, 1,544 RBIs, and 300 stolen bases. I didn't realize yeah. this, but yeah, Adrian Beltre is 34th overall in FWAR next to Chipper Jones, Joe DiMaggio, Roberto Clemente, Jeff Bagwell, Pete Rose, and Ken Griffey. Yeah, yeah never mind. I take that back. I, I thought he was a little further than that than he was. And he's thirty years old and still pretty good. So I mean, he's been out this yeah. year, but I mean, I mean, he, he's finished he play a couple more years. Yeah, he won a Gold Glove last year and finished top ten in MVP voting. Yeah, like, yeah, he was a six hundred player at age thirty-seven. Yeah, so yeah. he might. And <laughs> he well, might crack and, and, like top thirty. All, I mean, I'm sure. He, I'm almost sure he will at this point. I mean, he might pass George Brett. I mean, George Brett's at eighty-four point six. I think it's. I think it's pretty easy to say that Beltre's. Uh, maybe not the best third baseman of all time, but he's getting up there as far as in consideration for the among the best of all time. He's not, you know, yeah. Mike Schmidt, but right. So, just comparison's sake, you've got Adrian Beltre, who's been to the All Star Game four times, you know, top five MVP twice, has five Gold Gloves, has won three Silver Sluggers. Then you have Carlos Beltran, who was Rookie of the Year has been to eight All-Star games, has three gold gloves, and finished top five in the MVP voting once, and has two silver sluggers. Yeah. And, but by OPS+, Plus, Adrian Beltre is at 116, Carlos Beltran 121. Huh? I'm, hey, I, I'm, 
I still don't think he's a slam dunk guy. Like, I still think people I, are... No, gonna... I, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that Beltron's a... He's not, a, he's not necessarily a first ballot guy, but he's... He's a guy that should get consideration that I, I don't think will. Yeah. Mainly because his career peaked roughly a decade ago. You know, as soon as, you know, when he left the Royals and went to the Astros and then was on the Mets and had a bunch of 40 home run seasons. Yeah. But that was all, you know, in 2006, 2007, 2008. And he's just kind of been around since then. The Jason Bay years for the Mets. Uh, <laughs> I feel well, like he also he doesn't like have a, a, a iconic like the the most iconic moment I can think of him is him striking out caught looking to end the 2006. Oh no, NLCS. he's, he's but yeah, he's out, yeah. he's an outstanding postseason career though. Yeah, yeah, but he like, has his a career uh, OPS one one point oh seven eight in the in the postseason. He had a big home run, didn't yeah. he? He had a he had a game winning home run for the Astros. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking that. And um, and I think the NLCS to face the cart because he oh, okay I'm thinking because. Pujols hit that huge home run off the Astros to go to the World yeah. Series. Was it but... the NLCS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that was the DS? Okay. Um, yeah, it could have been. Um, no, it was NLCS. But, yeah, that's the other thing. He only played in one World Series, and that was kind of at the end of his career yeah. with the Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, two random things. One, if Miguel Cabrera stopped playing right now, is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, uh, I think yeah. probably. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, I'll give it to him. 68 career F4. Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of the cutoff for consideration for a lot of people is right around 60. Yeah, well, and he's got the triple crown, uh, and I mean... Yeah. Four-time batting champ, yeah, he's two-time got, MVP. He's got two MVP awards, and he went to the All-Star game for a decade. No, I'm with yeah. you. I think he is. Or he's, just you know, he's got three. Oh, and, but uh, is he as good as Hosmer, though? No, no, no. And speaking well, of that, <laughs> I want to bring that back to Hosmer, because... So I, I play-indexed it. There were ten first basemen last year who had, um, who hit greater than 260, more than 25 home runs, more than 100 RBI. Eric Hosmer had the lowest batting average of them. I think he had the lowest home run total of them. And I also think he had, no, Daniel Murphy had 104 RBI. So he had the second lowest RBI total. Actually, no, I'm sorry, uh, Jose Bray had 100. But anyways, he was down there in that. And the big caveat that I see is that, oh, he had a gold glove. Well, only one player a year can win the gold glove. So, yeah, of course he's the only guy if you add the gold glove in there. It could be any stat you want to throw in there, plus the gold glove means there can only be one of them. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> there's my rant. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, there was 10 players last year that met 10 first basemen. So, you know, a third of all the third, third basemen last year hit that. Now go take a look at what those 10 first basemen are probably doing this year and what they did the year prior and the year two prior. So difference between Eric Cosmer and random guys in one year. So anyway, there's my rant. <laughs> I could talk about Eric Cosmer. For the record, over. Carlos Beltran has more home runs in RBI than Miguel Cabrera, but, you know, it's whatever. Yeah, but Miguel Cabrera. But Cabrera has done it in, like, six fewer seasons. Yeah, so. he was a shortstop, too, at one point somehow, yeah. if you can believe it. And a third sort baseman of. for that one for that one season or whatever with the Tigers, they go, yeah, we're gonna try him out at third base, and they go, nope, let's let's go trade Prince Fielder so we don't have to play Miguel Cabrera at third base ever again, basically. Uh, yeah. Man. Okay. Although that trade did end up working out for them, so. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, 
I feel bad. Prince Fielder is probably another good one, whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. Oh, I think he's too far away, right? Yeah, I think he's a little more borderline than... Yeah, you've got to be a really monster first baseman to get there. And yeah. I mean, he was good, but career... Oh, well, yeah, 133 WRC+. Plus. I mean, he's good, but 319 yeah. home runs. But I don't, I, I don't know if he was great for long enough. No, no, no. Yeah, really. especially his injuries at the end. and yeah. He only had his peak... He's a good peak, 5.9, um, but it's not like... Yeah, I don't know. It's not a huge, yeah. super, super peak. You know, there's a uh, somebody on Twitter the other day was pointing out that that Prince Fielder's career is remarkably similar to Cecil Fielder's career in terms of they have, like numbers. They have the same number, same number of career home runs. Oh, exact same yeah. number. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, three nineteen. Hold on, let me. Now you got me curious. Give me two seconds. I wanna... And the, their home run totals were really, really similar at one point. So let's see. So Prince like, Fielder compared to his father. Um. Yep. Three nineteen home runs. Pretty much the same RBIs. Um. Yeah. Pretty close. Career ISO two two three against two two seven. Uh. Mm-hmm. But Prince was the better hitter though by far. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Definitely. He was the more valuable player too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize his WAR was that low. I always forget yeah, about what 27. they do. Twenty seven. Yeah. Team. You think it'd be higher? Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't. I would have put him somewhere in the. I thought would have thought he was in the forties, but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, let's say first base. God, you gotta just kill it to be first base. Like even, like even Keith Hernandez, who was a bonkers defender, <laughs> still wasn't like still isn't like oh my god, you know, oh this guy might be a Hall of Famer because like he had the highest bar possible for a first baseman, which is being an elite defender. And even then, he's like, okay, he's he was pretty good, but. I don't think anybody's talking about him in the Hall of Fame. But he's a 60-win player for his career. That's pretty pretty dang good. Back-to-back seven-win seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was he was really good for a really long time. Yeah, and he was on Seinfeld. I mean, what more could you ask? And he was on Seinfeld. Okay. Yeah. All right, Max, what do you got to, to sign off? Anything? No. Uh, I'm just so I, – I, my preseason prediction of Jorge Soler hitting 30 home runs, yeah. I, I know it's early, but I don't think that's going to happen. You take it, uh, you take it back. Okay. I, yeah, Did yeah he it's just not going to happen this year. Again, like I, I've been trying to figure out why he's been in – You're thinking of Kyle life. Zimmer. Ah. Ah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was, he was hurt before the season started. They just hadn't figured it out yet, I guess, is, is really what – yeah, I I really uh, think, I really really think it's like he just doesn't know pain. Like you know, he's just like not understanding that this is what it should be. Because I don't know. That's just my thought. Anyways, I'm just really oh, like the normal the normal wear and tear yeah, and like shoulder pitch, stiffness that happens yeah, from pitching. Like you see those pitchers with those huge ice packs, Velcro to their right, arms yeah. after games. Yeah, that's yeah. not just because it looks cool or you know <laughs> something random. I mean, it hurts to pitch, but I don't know. I hate to be like that, but at some point you're like, okay, can he really be this hurt all the time in, in, after this surgery that was supposed to clear everything up? And I don't know. Anyways, because he's, he's been pulled after a start just because he was sore and then he was fought. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into it, but I'm just curious. So, okay. All right, Josh, what else do you I have mean, to say? Don't do uh, it. Don't dive this, into it. Uh, this seat. The the season went south way faster than I anticipated, and yeah. I was not ready for it. And um, as as a as a a person who has, although 
for the last you know six months has been remarkably sporadic. Somebody who has written about the Royals for the better part of five years now at various websites. Part of me is really sad to see the Royals be bad. But then part of me, like we were talking about earlier, is like, ah, it's so much easier to write about a bad baseball team. Yeah. It's it's so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I like... Uh... There's, writing about the Royals in like... Writing about the Royals in like 2012 was like... That was nice. It was it was just easy. Like you could just look at the team and be like, "Oh, there's a story." <laughs> yeah. Well, as the guy who likes to write about prospects, it's nice that people will be like, "Oh, okay, let's care about that now." It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get anybody to read a top yeah. sixty prospect list in the year that they, you know, go to the World Series. After that, it's hard to be like, "Hey, look at this guy in rookie ball." Is it? Is that why you ballooned out to to one hundred at one point? I thought about one hundred. Yeah, but I just like. I got to 80 for this past one, and I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't in good conscience put anybody else's name on here because at that point it's like, this guy's not making the major leagues. I, I can't call this guy a prospect. So maybe right. next year I can get a little bit more with another draft. But no, this after 80, I even struggled with 80. There were two guys on my list that I had to cut <laughs> because I just I realized, oh yeah, that's right, they aren't in the organization anymore. Um, and so just because it's like after that after like 65 or 70 i was like oh yeah this guy has a shot i guess and that's kind of where i had to go from there so because i mean how many how many players are actually in the royals minor league system it can't be more than like 180 right yeah i don't know 25 i think 20 25 times 5 teams so i mean yeah 100 ish or so yeah 100 plus Yep. Okay. All right. Let's wrap it up. Let's get it. Yeah. Very, very good day. Uh, All right. Well, if anybody has anything else, yes, I'll be up there. Feel an angel steal me from the greedy doesn't